0: things that I find I have found interesting uh, about living in the neighborhood that I live in now here in Lansdowne, and it feels like particularly the spot on the street where I live, uh, and some of you are going to nod your heads in just a second, is uh, that it it seems like that something I had to get used to is just how the wind comes out of nowhere around here. Uh, See, there it is. Um, And so it just whips up, and it's crazy, and Uh, It actually was kind of like that yesterday for a little bit and and a few days before. Uh, Now, some of you may not know this, but in our uh, building where the kids all just um, went, uh, there are these ceiling tiles. They're a little bit lighter than the ones that are in here. And so anytime there's like a... I'll know if it's been a windy night or the the day before was windy, even if I've been out of town or something, because I'll come into the building and there'll be three or four of those ceiling tiles on the floor because the wind will actually lift them up and then they'll kind of fall through. Uh, And so that's just something that's just been, you know, kind of interesting to get used to. Now, I'm from Florida, and we got wind. We call it hurricanes, but they don't just come out of nowhere uh, like the gusts do here. Um, And so the thing I've learned is that I need to pay attention on my weather app, not just to the rain, which is, of course, the main thing. Well, if you know me, the main thing I'm looking at is how hot is it going to be, and then I get mad if it's over 80 degrees. But the other thing I look for on my weather app Uh, It is, you know, the rain, but but I've learned here to actually kind of scroll over in the app I use and click on the wind Uh, because um, I'm going to try to be a little bit prepared. Now, and that's the thing about the weather and the wind in particular. Uh, As good as our apps are, we really can't predict it. It just kind of happens. And it might say, you know, wind gusts are going to be maybe 30-mile-an-hour gusts, and then it'll be 50, and no one prepared you for that, right? And so the wind and the weather are unpredictable, And so what I've learned is that you can't like I can't predict it and be perfectly prepared. But what I can do is try and get my my backyard, my deck and stuff kind of ready, wind ready, if you will. Right. Uh, I did this actually late last night. We came home from some birthday party stuff with uh, my daughter. uh, I was going to say six year old, my seven year old. And um, I went out on the back deck after dinner and I just kind of put things away because it said today was going to rain. And so I didn't want all that stuff to get in the rain. And so, you know, when I know that there's going to be wind, I might tie things down or put things away uh, to make sure that um, everything's going to be able to withstand what might happen. And so this is a little bit of what the book of Acts is going to be like when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Now, again, this is something that it's, it's a difficult thing for us to get our minds around. But the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity and and he kind of does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And we see this a little bit even in our text today. The presence of the person of the Holy Spirit is a little bit like the wind. All we can really do is live our lives in a state of readiness. We can hoist our sails, if you will, but we can't make the wind blow when we want it to. Now, there are some that kind of try to manufacture the Holy Spirit moving, right? I mean, the most typical example would be Uh, You go into kind of a a worship setting and the lights get real dark and there's lasers and fog and the Holy Spirit shows up. That's how you do it. And, And I'm not saying that stuff is bad. I worked in a place like that. But it can get to a point where you kind of think I'm manufacturing something here that the Holy Spirit just doesn't work like that. And so what we see is in this text, the followers of Jesus kind of in a place of readiness and expectancy, they're expecting the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus promised he would do, but they can't make it happen. And so um, what we want to do is to be like them. We'll see this today is to be ready for him to do what he will do. And so that word expectancy, it's a good word to talk about what the attitude of the followers of Jesus looked like in the books, in the book of Acts, that they are expectant for the Holy Spirit to move. Jesus told them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We saw that last week. And so they were expecting, I know this is crazy, they were expecting that what Jesus told them was going to happen would actually happen. Right? They were actually expecting that. And so they had this this expectation, this fervency for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there hopefully is a blue hardback one around you somewhere you can grab. Uh, If you're real lucky, there might be a large print one around you if you need that. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, we have some uh, paperback ones on the black table out in the lobby that you can grab and just take as a gift from us. Chapter 1, verse 12, They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Again, this is only probably about two-thirds of a mile at most because that's all that would have been allowed during the Sabbath. There were restrictions on the amount of walking you could do because that's considered work, and they honored the Sabbath, and so that's probably about as far as they were. But again, their hearts are are like those who were on the road to Emmaus after they had that encounter. They're burning within them, and so they're walking along with the realization that what Jesus said was going to happen has just happened. Incredible. And so they make it back to Jerusalem, and they go to the upper room. Verse 13 when they had entered so they enter the house or kind of the complex the compound you might say they go up to the upper room where they were staying and then it names off all the apostles or disciples who were there now the greek text there says the upper room and i think this is kind of neat and important because this is not just any upper room likely this is the upper room the same upper room where they had had the last supper with jesus this is where they've been staying so if this is true which i think it is I think it's really beautiful to think that the Holy Spirit is given in the very same room where Jesus promised this back in John 14. This is John 14, 16 to 18. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So this is now kind of that coming to fruition. And so it had to have been a pretty decent sized room. I would imagine probably similar to the room we're in right now. This is a size of room where probably about 120 people could fit if we all jammed together. There's a lot of space up here, right? Kind of sardine style. And so the text says there's 120 squeezed into this space. And in addition to the 11 apostles, what we see is there's Jesus' own mother Mary, his brothers, and then this phrase, the women. Now, I want to just take a side note here and point this out because I think it's important When it comes to the women, the way the language is working here, Luke is, I think, making a point that um, the, the women isn't a definite article. He's not talking about specific women or he would have named them like he named Mary. He's talking about the reality that there are women there who are considered in the circle of disciples. They're part of the earliest church. That's the way I think Luke is making a point that women are part of the church's ministry right from the beginning. And so it's not a definite article, meaning, again, it's not about which women are there, but that women are there fully included in those who are counted as disciples. Now, these followers of Jesus, they stayed here for one reason, primarily. I'm sure they stayed here for other reasons, like maybe they were afraid, but primarily They believed that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them and they were going to receive power because that's what Jesus said would happen. And so they're in this room. They're waiting for that to happen. And at this moment in the story, in this upper room, they had no reason to doubt that was going to happen. Right? Jesus just ascended into heaven. Well, I I guess we should definitely really believe him. He resurrected from the dead, stayed with us for 40 days, ascended into heaven. Now I'm pretty sure we can believe what he said is going to happen is going to happen. And so they're doing kind of the the, the metaphor that I've used with us in the past about the Holy Spirit of the faucet, right? They're they're doing that right here. We can't manufacture the move of the Spirit. They can't make the Holy Spirit happen when they want it to happen. He's going to do what he's going to do when he will do it. We can't make the faucet of the Holy Spirit turn on, so to speak, and turn off when we want. But what we can do is what we see in this text. We can place ourselves under the faucet. We can devote ourselves to what Jesus told us to do and we can expectantly wait for it to turn on. This to me, I, I was thinking about this this week and I think in my own walk and in, in, in the walk I kind of see in our sort of stream of Christianity, we get this kind of backwards a lot. And so um, we, we get this backwards in how we live as Christians when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I know even in my background, I know we're in an Alliance church and We talk about the Holy Spirit quite a bit, but I didn't grow up in that type of church. I grew up in the type of church where I like to say the Holy Spirit was like the weird cousin at Thanksgiving. Like he's in the family and he's at the table, but I don't really know him that well. But that's not what we see in this text. And that's not how I want to live. I want to live into the power of the Spirit. And so I've been on that journey for a number of years now. But but I think we kind of get it backwards, right? We We forget that there is some level of of action on our part when it comes to putting ourselves under the faucet or to use the wind metaphor again there's action on our part when it comes to hoisting the sails in order to catch the wind of the holy spirit but too often what i see in myself and what i see in friends is that what we want is for the holy spirit to show up and then we think oh now i'll do the thing in order to because i'll be inspired by the holy spirit Instead of realizing this pattern we see in Acts, Jesus says, wait for the Spirit, stay here, and then the Spirit will show up. Too often, I think, if we were in this text, we would be out of the room, out of Jerusalem, trying to do mission without the Holy Spirit, and going, maybe if the Holy Spirit shows up, then he'll inspire me, and then I'll obey. And I think that, for me, that that tends to play itself out in my life, and that seems to be backwards, What we see in this text, I think, is what's often missing from my walk and our walk with Jesus, and that's just simple obedience and expectant faith to do what he said to do. And what we're seeing here is an example, I think a very simple, but yet a profound example of what we might call a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline. Remember, that's all the spiritual practices are, if you've heard about them or you you know a little bit about them. All they are is a way to live in obedience, and I would say to hoist our sails up to the movement of the Holy Spirit, to place ourselves under the faucet so that when the Holy Spirit moves, we're there, we're ready, we're expected. But it takes what we see in this text, persistence and obedience. This is why we call them spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, scripture, silence. All these things are simply us doing over a long period of time uh, what we see as a little picture in this text. Verse 14, And these all with one accord were what? Devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In in, uh, his commentary, one commentator named A.T. Robertson said this on this text. He said that this means they stuck to praying. They just stuck to praying. They just, I don't know what to do next. Jesus made this promise. Let's just keep praying. There's this commitment. Commitment that this text could be more literally translated they were continually devoting themselves to the prayer to the prayer of what Jesus made us a promise we want that promise and so they're just praying that the last verse in Luke's gospel says that they were continually the followers of Jesus these disciples they were continually in the temple praying and blessing God so sometimes they're in the temple sometimes they're in the upper room but they're persistent they're stuck To praying. They kept praying. They kept obeying what Jesus had taught them to do and what he had modeled for them. This is the way it works. If you want more of Jesus, you want more of his spirit's evidence in your life, then you keep going back to obeying Jesus' words to be with him. There's a sense in which we see this group of uh, disciples, followers of Jesus, in this text in Acts. Doing what Jesus said in the classic John 15 idea of abiding. They're, abiding. they're staying there in prayer. And so prayer, any of the other spiritual practices at their core, are about this, this staying devoted to what Jesus has for us. And actually, that's what Jesus is calling us to. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus says this. How much more... Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's prayer. How much more will the Holy Spirit give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I was really convicted by this line from one commentator who said this, A hurried request, soon forgotten and unrepeated, will produce no fruit. Right? A prayer that you say in a hurry, that's forgotten soon and you never repeat, is going to produce no fruit. A hurried request, soon forgotten, and unrepeated will produce no fruit. So persistent, expectant asking is one of the keys we see here. Jesus, now, that statement he made about how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, he prefaces that That's part of a parable about a man who goes to his neighbor's house at night to borrow food because he has an unexpected guest, and the only way he got what he wanted was by repeatedly banging on his door and bothering him. Listen to this. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Right? Because he keeps asking, he's going to get up and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask. Literally keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek. Keep seeking is the way the language works, and you will find. Knock, keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. And then that's when Jesus says, if that's true, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you keep asking Him? So this little group of believers believed this so fully. They believed it so passionately that they couldn't help but pray with persistence. They're devoted to this. And the key I want us to see here is that it's in this persistence that there's a shaping and a molding that takes place because of the work of Jesus. And it makes us ready to receive what the Holy Spirit is actually going to give to us. That this process of these disciples waiting and being devoted in this room is what made them ready to receive the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. They're being formed. And so as they're in this moment of obeying Jesus expectantly, Jesus' presence is forging, I think, two things in them that make them ready for the arrival of the Holy Spirit and his power and what we see in the rest of the book of Acts in the early church. The first of these two things is unity. Like, not uniformity, but real unity. Verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. It's amazing if you think about it and take in, take to slow down and take into account who is the all there or all these who are in this room right think about who's there you've got stubborn immature men the kind who argue over who's going to get the best seat in the kingdom and send their mom to ask like they're in this room you've got stubborn people who refuse to wash one another's feet you've got uh zealot who hates the, the Roman state. You've got a tax collector who has, sold, who has gotten the rights to, to, to work for that Roman state. They're in the same room together. They're Jesus' brothers, his earthly brothers, who'd rejected his messiahship, basically called him crazy. They're in the room now. You've got Jesus' own mother and a whole bunch of women from different walks of life. Some of the women, we know their story from the New Testament. And so this room is full of people from different backgrounds with different ways of living and in and, and there's a sense in which that room is kind of like this room there's a bunch of us from different places we look different we talk different we've had different backgrounds and yet the blood of jesus brings us in, to become all of one accord so there's many different backgrounds ideas preferences and yet all of these were of one accord literally they are of one heart and one mind And listen, I've spent my entire life, 37 years in rooms just like this one from the time when I could crawl on the floor. Like a lot of us think it's, you know, we love it. My little one is crawling on the floor right now, and it's great. I crawled under the pews one time, and my pastor picked me up and kept preaching. That's how long I've been in rooms just like this room. And so I'm dyed-in-the-wool church folk. That's me. I love the local church. I love this local church. This is my people right? I get I get you. You get me. I, I feel that this is me. But how often in these rooms are we actually of one accord, right? And listen, I don't know about you. I think I do. But I want this. I want this one accord. I want this for my babies and their babies. That's the kind of church that I want my kids to grow up in, where we're of one accord. And we It's messy and we work on it and we forgive each other and we come back to the table and we talk again because we want to be of one accord. I want this. I think any of us who follow Jesus would agree with this. And so how does this happen? Well, how's it happening in this little short text? Well, they're devoting themselves to the same thing. They're all looking to Jesus at the same time for the same thing. So then unity in the church is really about all of us having Jesus at the center. And again, it doesn't mean uniformity. We're not going to all like the same things. We're not going to all like each other, but we're all together in this family of God that was purchased by the blood of Jesus and who the Holy Spirit is empowering to be in the world. And so unity in the church is about us moving as to go back to our discipleship language for our church. It's about all of us moving towards Jesus who is The center. A little later on in Acts, in the end of Acts chapter 4, the church is described as being of one heart and soul. And the result of that in Acts 4, 32 and 33 is that great grace and great power came upon them. That's what I want for us. I want great grace and great power in Lansdowne through this church. That's what I want. And so this communal expectancy and this communal obedience to Jesus is part of what Jesus wants to accomplish in his church. And it's this kind of community that becomes the place that is full of the kind of people who the Holy Spirit can show up to in power and do what only he can do. The Holy Spirit can do stuff that you and I cannot do. He cannot. And that kind of leads us to the second of these two realities, which is that they are, as they're in this place of waiting and seeking and praying, they're growing not just in unity. They probably don't even realize they're growing in unity, but when you pray together a lot, that happens. But they're also growing in their dependence. Now, they're learning that they can't do this on their own, and we have to admit that if you're from here or you've lived here for a long time, as Americans, this is kind of at complete odds with this aspect of Christianity. This is a place where our Christianity kind of crashes into what is seen as normal and right in our culture. We value independence as a virtue, right? You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But that doesn't work with the Holy Spirit. When it comes to seeing the move of the Holy Spirit, we are not independent from one another, and for sure not from the Holy Spirit himself. No strategy, no plan, no effort in and of ourselves, all of which are good and we do, are going to be able to accomplish what the Holy Spirit can. Because look, I'm just speaking as, a, as your pastor, right? I could probably, by my own efforts, if I worked it just right, I could get a few of us in this room to modify some behaviors. Maybe I could use some guilt. I could use some shame, right? I could do some things in my own effort, to modify some of your behavior at least in my presence right and when i'm gone you do what you do but i could probably do i could probably accomplish that in some people i could probably use some strategies and some planning to get some of us to to be more inspired and do things differently but but here's what i know you know what the holy spirit can do the holy spirit can make dead people alive that's what he can do he, he can make spiritually blind people see. That's his power. He can bind a group of very different people together and make them function in one accord so that there is an odd unity in the church. Like if a person with no church background walks into this room and sees the way this group of people loves each other, there's probably a little bit in them of like, how does it? why is this working? If they knew all of our backgrounds... And our preferences and, and the different ways we align ourselves, they would go, Why does this work? Well, there's this unity. We're in one accord. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. The Holy Spirit can actually change your desires and transform you so that you love good and you hate sin. You can't even make yourself change your ice cream preferences, right? You can't, now I, I, I use this metaphor I can't make myself like the Red Sox, I hate them. Right, I don't like them, and I can't change that—that silly of a desire. But the Holy Spirit can change things about me that I could never change. He can do all of that, and if we want to see those things happening, which we do, then as we stay praying and as we stay obeying Jesus, what we also grow in is our realization of and our gladness in. Our dependence on this gift of the Holy Spirit. We see an example of uh, uh, writing this story of the dependence that these followers of Jesus had on the Spirit. Now, some criticize this move, but I think it's a good example of this dependence that they cast lots to discover Judas' replacement. There's a couple things I want to just point out. If you're like casting lots, that's gambling. Let me just say a couple things. First, casting lots or drawing lots was actually a time-honored way of determining God's will in the people of Israel's history. Proverbs 16 is an example. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, and its every decision is from the Lord. Okay? So this is a way, a system that they had used and honored in the past of making decisions. Now, secondly, in the casting of lots... What they're actually doing is giving themselves over to God for the outcome, independence on prayer. And they are also showing us, and I think this is a side note, but it's really important in our day and age when church is so criticized, that following wise processes as a church are part of the church from the beginning. Now, this might sound like a little bee in my bonnet. And if it is, somebody can come up to me after and say, hey, that wasn't, Well, you shouldn't have done that, but I'm doing it. The book of Acts is full of examples, I think, of how we see, uh, how we as dependent followers of Jesus also can use our God-given wisdom to make decisions. Now, this is an example. It may not seem that way to us because we don't cast lots, but this is them using wisdom and prayer together together and the Holy Spirit to make a decision. So Peter knew that they, in this instance, needed to replace Judas as one who's called an apostle. And so by prayer, they decide to use a process in order to find God's will. This is still true for us in the church today. Now, me and the elders don't get together and throw dice to figure stuff out. That's not how we do it. But let me just give you an example. We don't cast lots, but you know what we do? We form a search team. We... And that team prays together, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, they get resumes, they look those over as an example, right? And they make a decision. This is the church doing something out of wisdom, filled by the Spirit in prayer. So this is an example of how this dependence and this unity, I think, play themselves out in the real world life of the church. And we see it right from the beginning here. I just wanted to make this point because it seems like when we talk about the move of the Holy Spirit in the local church, we tend to only think of the day of Pentecost examples in the book of Acts, which, yes, we should expect those and want those, but we tend to, I tend to not think of the quiet upper room examples of like choosing someone to replace someone else as also part of what the Holy Spirit does in the church and what Jesus wants to do through his church. And so as we just continue our way through this book over the next couple of weeks, over the next weeks and months, not a couple of weeks, over the next weeks and months, and as we see the power of the Holy Spirit on display in big ways and in kind of mundane ways in the lives of these followers of Jesus, I just want us to ask ourselves a, a couple questions. I want us to ask ourselves, if the- is that what we want to see in our lives as individuals and in our life together as a church? Do we want the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we want the wind of the Spirit in our sails? If the answer to that is yes, then we have an example for us. What we can do is simply join in this expectancy of this upper room type fellowship that we see in our text today. Join in this devotion to prayer. And yes, I mean when we're together, but I also mean when we're separated but still bound together by the blood of Jesus. We ask. Jesus expectantly. We ask him to fill us up, to make us overflow. We ask Jesus, Jesus, send your Holy Spirit right now as we're here gathered in this room to, to bring to mind the person you want us to, to, to share the gospel with. We we stay asking, we stay seeking, knowing that all we're asking for is what God said he wanted to do, right? We're just asking our Father to give us the gift he wanted to give us. And those of you who've been parents, That's the hardest two weeks is leading up to the birthday or Christmas when you know you've got them a present. They're like, I want to open my presents. And you're like, but you got to wait. But really, I just want to give it to you because I love you. And this is God, our Father, right? We'll close with this. How much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So let's ask. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you are our Father, that you love us and that you long to give us your Spirit. We thank you for this story of when your spirit first came in the way that it did to the church and, and filled them and us with power. But we ask for 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 kind of a refreshing of that, that individually and as a church family, we would see your spirit moving. And, and Father, we do want to acknowledge it seems like you're moving a little bit right now in our church. We're seeing some energy and some things happening and kids are here and and all those things are from you. We know we've We can't manufacture any of that on our own. So we're dependent on you. And in that, we become hopefully unified together, seeing that you've called us here to this place, to this group of people, to be an Acts 1 8 family. That we are filled with your power. We're bound together. And we long to see that spread from here through this neighborhood. We long to see more faces. We long for the day when we don't have enough chairs. And when we're trying to figure out what are we going to do with all these kids? Holy Spirit, we want those problems. Because we know that when we have those problems, people are coming to know and love you. And that's what we want more than anything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.